that him that him is such a a rich unpacking of the Christian life, isn't it? All these stages and uh, the firmness of the foundation that we have in Christ. It's beautifully written. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Colossians chapter 3. We will be uh, looking at verses 18 to the beginning of chapter 4. You can find the text printed on page 8 in your bulletin if you uh, don't have a Bible, or you're welcome to follow along in a pew Bible. The passage can be found there on page 984. But as you're turning there, just kind of a reminder of where we've been in Colossians. It's, it's a book that you can sit down and read in one sitting without a problem. It was read in one sitting to the churches. And yeah, we break it up piece by piece. And so it can be easy to kind of lose the forest for the trees, for the trees for the, whichever way you lose something, it can happen when you're doing this. Um, <laughs> and so what Colossians has been talking about, especially most recently, is about how those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ have been raised in resurrection life and how profound it really is that Christ, who is above, is now our life, even though we are below but no longer earthly. And there's a calling throughout to seek and to set our minds on the things above, Christ himself and that heavenly new creation life that he is at work producing in us. And this is seen in heaven's war that we talked about a few weeks ago as God through Christ and by the Spirit is warring along with us at those things that are not heavenly which remain in us, especially the ways we tend to possess and covet and and punish one another. And this is seen in um, context of heaven's community. This is what we looked at last week, that this heavenly transformation and change is taking place in this context where we are being renewed as Christ's community, Christ's body, the church. And the church is not glamorous, it's not perfect, but in it, new creation life is being formed in us as we relate to one another in the body of Christ. Well, now the Apostle Paul goes even further, and and I think in our minds, further away from things that are above to some of the most common things, but he's, he's trying to shape our understanding here. He says, not only is this heavenly life seen in our church community, but it goes all the way down to the most basic of our relationships, those relationships that we have in our homes and in our workplaces, which for them overlapped with their homes. And so for us, our work is often outside our home and it overlaps in various ways or it's in the home. But as we hear and understand this, Paul is saying that this doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus that we talked about in verse 17, it isn't just when we're together or when we're doing big and noticeable things, but it's in the ordinariness of our homes and our work. Jesus cares about how we treat one another there in those common, basic relationships. And so I want to begin by really asking you a question. When you hear the title of this sermon, Heaven's Home, or you think of heavenly homes, what comes to your mind? What comes to my mind, first of all, is that it would be easy and blissful 
and nice. <laughs> a heavenly home is just where things work and they're how they're supposed to be and everyone's doing okay. But a passage like ours calls us to think of the phrase heavenly a bit differently than that. Yes, one day all will be blissful. All will be perfect. All will be heavenly in that sense. But that day hasn't come yet, has it? And yet, our homes can still be heavenly in the scriptural sense. You know, even on a day like today, which is Mother's Day, I'm sure that's a very well-intentioned holiday that was founded for the second Sunday in May. It's a day to honor our moms. But yet, it's a day that's mixed with many things, isn't it? There are aspects of it which may be very heavenly. We can be thankful for life. Many of us have seen great virtue and care in our moms, and we can be thankful for phone calls and cards and meals together. And yet, there are also aspects of it that are not very heavenly. And it can be for us a reminder of pain and loss and hurt and longing. And so what we'll see this morning is that a heavenly home is not where things are perfect. But as Christians, our homes are places where heaven's character, Christ's character, is being formed in us. And so that's what we'll look at this morning. And so hear God's word as I read it in our passage. It's Colossians 3, starting in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So far the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask his help as we give our attention to it this morning. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us by your Holy Spirit as we come to your word, that you would illumine our hearts and minds to understand your heart as you speak these words to us through the preaching of your word. We pray that you would encourage us with the wonder of heaven's life being formed within us in all these places which we find ourselves. Will you show us what it means to truly do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus? We are amazed that we have even been called into that name by your grace. And so we ask for your grace and help as we consider these things this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our outline this morning as we look at this passage will be in three um, points. Heavenly homes are shaped by Christ's transformation. 
They are shaped by Christ's way and then finally by Christ's lordship. So Christ's transformation, his way, and his lordship. And we'll, we'll look at those things in our passage this morning. First of all, let's consider Christ's transformation. When we think about structures like the family and the home, there are critiques in our society that say that those things are so messed up and they are so faulty, so much hurt and harm is done in the home that we should just really throw out things like marriage and parenting. And we should really just make it that family is anyone who loves you and just move on from there. There's another response to that temptation, right? And that response can be just to double down. (laughs) It can make everything about being a husband and a wife and a father and a mother and raising children. And instead of tearing down the family, it can probably inadvertently promote the worship of family. But you see, the Christian way is different than this. It's different than both of these. Christ transforms these structures of marriage and parenting. And it doesn't do what either of those sides are seeking to do. The gospel affirms and upholds the institutions of marriage and parenting. And it doesn't do so because they are perfect. Both of those things are profoundly affected by the fall. But they are creational, aren't they? They're designed by God. And while fallen and complicated, and while they do both harm and good, the Bible helps us see how those institutions can function best according to God's design and intentions. And so the gospel affirms and upholds these institutions, but the gospel does more than that, doesn't it? It also pushes back against worshiping these creational categories. Marriage and parenting have been relevatized through the Lord Jesus Christ. They are both important, but they are not the most important things. Jesus and Paul both uphold something that was unthinkable in an Old Covenant, Old Testament context, don't they? They say that marriage and having children are no longer what is essential for the continuation of the kingdom of God. That producing spiritual offspring, not merely biological offspring, is the way that this kingdom grows. And now that Jesus, the true offspring, has come, singleness is now preferable to marriage, if you are able And you can wholeheartedly, in singleness, devote yourself to the things of the Lord. That's not that marriage is bad, but it also brings with it callings and preoccupations of the things of this age, doesn't it? And singleness puts aspects of the gospel on display in amazing ways. Just as marriage puts the gospel on display in profound ways, so also does singleness as it shows us what it really means that the Lord Jesus even now is our heavenly husband. And so singleness is now something that's important and essential in the kingdom of God alongside marriage and parenting. And Jesus also, in his teaching, said something that was just mind-blowing to them, that there are eunuchs in the kingdom of God. 
that there are those in God's kingdom who will not have children. And some, it, for some it will be by choice. For some it will be because they cannot. And what Jesus says is they are no less a part of the kingdom of God. Instead, they become mothers and fathers in this gospel family. And they too put the gospel on display in unique and powerful ways as they show what it truly means to live with Christ as our King, our Lord, and our inheritance, just as a eunuch in the service of a king would, have, would follow his king and seek his inheritance through him. And you see, it's only when we see Christ's transformation of all these categories that the church will truly become the heavenly community that it is created to be. Where single people and married people and widows and widowers and parents and children and young and old are all loved and valued and treated properly in the body of Christ, where Christ is truly all and in all as we dwell together as a church. And so when we come to a text like this, where Paul zooms in on the home, we have to keep in mind this whole broader context of what God is doing through the gospel of our Lord Jesus, even as we look at these instructions on marriage and parenting. And what Jesus wants to show you today, in whatever situation you find yourself in in life right now, is that as you are in relationship with him, he is at work bringing heaven's transformation into your life right now where you are. Now, we've talked about how the gospel upholds marriage and parenting as institutions, but there's also something you may have noticed in our passage is that it talks about slavery. Marriage and parenting are creational institutions, but the master-slave structure is not. And the issue of slavery in the Bible is complicated. The way scripture addresses it is right and good, and we've addressed it more thoroughly previously in our study in Ephesians and in Exodus. But I just want to say a few words that help situate us again to what we'll be reading here. It's important to remember that the slavery being spoken of in our passage today is not the same as what took place in our American context, where people were stolen and bought and sold because of their race. That form of chattel slavery was wrong on so many levels biblically in what it did to the image of God and how man-stealing is clearly forbidden in Scripture. And it's, it's heartbreaking as we stop and we think that Christians use the Bible to maintain and promote it as a valid institution. And I think it should humble us And as we even stop and think of how that went on for hundreds of years, it makes us realize that it's going to take a long time for us as a church to begin to understand and even correct the problems that flow from the harm that was done. 
And so there's a slight difference in what's being talked about there. Part of the reason our version has the term bondservants there instead of slaves is to try and show the difference between their situation, uh, the American context of race-based slavery, and their situation, which was much more like indentured servanthood where they would put themselves under service for a time for financial reasons. It wasn't perfect, but it was different. And it's good to understand also that the Bible nowhere affirms any version of slavery. It never says that it should be an institution in society, and it never tells Christians that they should own slaves. And instead, what it does is it pushes back in these radical and countercultural ways that if actually heeded and responded to in the body of Christ, it would lead to slavery's demise, as we've seen it happen over and over again throughout history. So while there's a lot more to say about that, I think it's helpful to realize that the Bible not only deals with creational institutions like marriage and parenting, but it also helps us understand institutions that we find ourselves in that are not part of God's original creational design. Things like slavery or various forms of government or various structures that we find ourselves in at work or in society. And even though it may not always be in our power to correct or to end the abuses of these structures, there's still a Christ-like way that the Bible holds forth in the meantime. And I think this is something really important for us to remember. I think it's something really important for us to remember, in particular as American Christians. Because in America, we have this amazing privilege of being able to act against societal wrongs, don't we? Uh, We are able to vote and make policy and protest things that we see that are wrong and mistreating people in our country. This was foreign to Paul's day for both slaves and for masters that they would have any say in the broader situation other than what the emperor was deciding to do. But while this is a privilege and we have a responsibility to use our position for others' good, especially for the weak and the vulnerable and those who are suffering from injustice in our country, we may not always succeed. And change may be a long time coming. And change on some of these issues that we know what God's way would be may never come, even in our country, where we have options to change things. And when we find ourselves in the midst of that, we can be tempted to lose heart, can't we? We can be tempted to get bitter about the injustices that we see. But we mustn't forget that the Bible also always gives us a way forward in the meantime. You see, the early church depended far more on the change that they could bring that came through the way they treated one another in their own countercultural community than the change that would occur in the broader society. And through the change that happened among them, it flowed out into the watching world. And so while we continue to push for societal change, we can't lose sight of the fact that regardless of the structures and the laws, Christ-like 
heavenly community can begin here in our church, in our most basic relationships in our homes. Whatever situation you find yourself in today, whether it's these creational institutions like marriage or parenting, or it's these other structures of living in our country or in your workplace in the broader society, being in Christ brings a heavenly transformation to the situation that you find yourself in. And so the question that we then have is what does this transformation look like? What is Jesus seeking to do as we find ourselves interacting in all these various roles? And that brings us to our second point. We, we considered Christ's transformation of how he enters into the structures we find ourselves in. And then secondly, we'll consider Christ's way. As we saw last week, there's a Christian clothing of Christ-like virtue that we're all called to put on, right? We've put off the old man Adam, we've put on the new man Christ, and now we put on Christ-like virtue, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And above all those, we put on that overcoat of love, right? And it binds them all together, it makes them all work, and it's, it's what we present to those around us is this overcoat of love, Well, as we come to this section, Paul says that there's also a Christ-like way in these relational pairs that we find ourselves that puts an aspect of Jesus on special display. It's like this hat that you put on in addition to the rest of that clothing that highlights a specific way about Jesus that is only seen when we find ourselves or it's put on fuller display when we find ourselves in these roles. These are all things that we're going to see in this list. These are all things that we are all to be doing as we follow Christ. But what Paul is highlighting here is because of the position that you find yourself in, there's there's a special significance to them and they shine more beautifully as they highlight an aspect of who Jesus is. And this section, as I read it, You notice it lists these things rather quickly, doesn't it? Wives, husbands, children, fathers, slaves, masters, boom, on to the next thing, right? And uh, a lot could be said about that. And so I hope your things are in the crock pot at home because we're going to stay for four hours. No, it's uh, instead, didn't you get the email? Uh, Yeah, happy Mother's Day. Instead, I'm just going to say this, and I don't usually hold up books and things like this, but we have spoken much more thoroughly, and the Bible has much more to say about all of these things. Um, We unpack these, as Paul does, more thoroughly in our Ephesians study, which was back in 2019. The elders, when when it comes to thinking about the marriage relationships in particular, have put together this whole booklet, When Head and Helper Are Hurting, that just unpacks the beauty of Christ-likeness in marriage. And there's also a book we highly recommend, Marriage and the Mystery of the Gospel by Ray Ortland. And so please don't hear what I'm saying today as the be-all, end-all teaching on these things. That's not Paul's intention here as he quickly rattles through these things, and it's not the intention for this sermon. But there is more that can be said, and we'd love to point you to those resources if you have questions. And so, 
in our passage, Paul doesn't go through this lengthy explanation like he did in Ephesians. Instead, I think what he wants to happen here And the goal for this sermon is really just that you would catch a glimpse of as you hear these different ways that Jesus' life is put on display in these relationships, it would catch your attention of how he's seeking to put that on display in your life as well. And so what we're going to do is just walk through and point to these uh, verses of these ways we can put Christ's likeness on display. Starting there in verse 18, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. We are all to be submitting ourselves to one another. Ephesians 5.21 tells us that. Philippians 2 says we're all to be putting others' interests ahead of our own. But when a wife finds herself in a position as wife, she has an opportunity to show off the beauty of Jesus' voluntary submission to his father while he was here on earth. And when a wife who has full and equal dignity in the Lord says that her life is not her own and she chooses to come alongside a fallen, less than perfect husband and freely chooses to be his Christ-like helper as God is our helper, to love him, to serve him, to bring God's perspective to him and to willingly respect the responsibilities that he has before God. It's beautiful And it gives us a picture of Jesus while he was here on earth. Husbands, it goes on to say in verse 19, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Again, loving is something that we're all called to do. We're putting on an outer coat of love. None of us are to be harsh with anyone, right? Compassionate, kind, meek, gentle, patient. But when a husband unites himself to his wife, And when he cares for her as he cares for his own body, and when he nourishes her and cherishes her, not being harsh with her, but living with her in an understanding way, that love and that gentleness, it shows something amazingly beautiful about our Lord Jesus. And the way that our Lord Jesus gives himself in the cross And over and over and over again each day gives himself for us again and again, gives himself to us as his bride. The opposite of harshness is sacrifice. And sacrifice is best seen when we look at our Lord Jesus on the cross. And so Paul says, husbands, you can give a glimpse of that kind of love to your wife and to the world when you love her with a Christ-like love and aren't harsh with her, but instead show her Christ-like care. Verse 20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything. Do we have any children here this morning? If you're following along in your bulletin, you could take out a pen or a marker or a pencil. You could circle verse 20 there because the Bible's talking to you. Isn't that amazing? Paul addressed children in his day, and from onward and onward, children are addressed as the family of God gathers together. And you know what's so amazing about what he says to children? Is children, our Lord Jesus became a child, didn't he? And he obeyed his parents perfectly. Now, that doesn't mean His parents were perfect. They were fallen sinners. And this doesn't mean that he would have done anything that would have been wrong for him to do. 
But in all that they commanded that was right and good, he obeyed them. And you, children who are in the home and under your parents' authority, Jesus wants to help you be like him in your home as you seek to obey the good and right things that they instruct you to do. Not just when they're watching, but because you know what it says? Your Lord Jesus is pleased. It brings a smile to his face when he sees you obeying what your parents said because he knows what it's like and he's forming that life in you even now, especially as you trust him and the Spirit helps you. goes on in verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. While children are instructed to obey and honor both parents, right? We see that this happens in Scripture. The instruction here is specifically to fathers. And I think a lot of the reason for that is fatherhood tends to lend itself to this type of temptation, of provoking and discouraging our children. But I do also want to say that mothers, and mothers especially those who are parenting on their own, can certainly find helpful application in this verse. Again, we're all to be doing all of these things. But fathers explicitly are called not to provoke their children. Provoking is stirring up to become angry. It's bringing training and correction in a way that's not truly for the good of the child, but usually driven more by our own agenda in some way. And by either being overbearing or by being too aloof in our instruction, it incites anger and it tempts our children to quarrel and to rebel against this provoking heavy-handedness. And the result of this provoking behavior is discouragement. It disheartens our children. It takes away their motivation to do what is right and good and it pushes them away rather than drawing them in, in love. And so what he's saying is, instead, fathers, you are to represent your heavenly father as Jesus perfectly represented the father while he was here on earth. And a passage of scripture that so beautifully highlights what should come to mind when we think about our heavenly father is Psalm 103, 13. As a father shows compassion on his child, to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. In so many ways, what the Bible says about parenting is so simple. It's parent how your heavenly father parents you. I think the difficult thing for many of us is we're still trying to learn how wonderfully our Heavenly Father parents us, aren't we? But there's grace for that. It says, fathers, you get to show that kind of love and fatherly compassion to your children. Then it goes on in verse 22 to the next pair of slaves and masters. In verse 22, it says, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. When you are in a situation where you find yourself under a master or a boss, you get to put on display the Lord Jesus. That's amazing. (laughs) That is heavenly work right there, isn't it? 
who, and if we think about our Lord Jesus, what did he do? He had all the glory and the dignity of being the eternal son. And yet what did he do? He stooped to serve as a slave. And our Lord Jesus worked throughout his life in a way that was truly pleasing to his father. We think of that in his ministry when he says those words, but we can think of that growing up in the home and learning carpentry and each and every day being done as a fragrant offering to his father as he used his energy to do work that was glorifying to his father. And so also what Paul is saying is you in your work can now work with a sincerity of heart like Jesus worked heartily, For the Lord Jesus, our work now matters to the Lord Jesus. And the way you work can demonstrate that you know that Jesus cares and is watching you as you work, even when no one else is. And that he is the one who will truly reward you, even when your earthly work does not. And he is the right and just judge who will pay back all wrongs that take place in the workplace. And he shows us that what true leadership really is, is to be responsible for the welfare of others. And so as we work, we seek to um, steward this opportunity before the Lord. And so when you work like this, you show a faith and a work that puts Jesus' life on display to your employer, and to your fellow workers. And then finally, in chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, treat your servants justly and fairly. Those who are in authority over others, especially when it comes to employment, you can show Jesus' way as you show what it is to live with Christ as your true master in heaven to treat those under you with the dignity and the respect that Jesus shows to every image bearer that he has created. And to ensure that you're not just seeking your own selfish gain or profit, but that you are truly seeking what is just, what is fair to each person, even at great cost to yourself and sometimes to the bottom line. An earthly master who's not seeking to be served, but to fairly and justly serve those under his or her care, is a powerful witness to our heavenly Lord who shows his true lordship in the cross, doesn't he? And so you see as Paul just rattles through these things, how it gives us a glimpse of how we're clothed in Christ-like virtue and we have that overcoat of love, but then in these roles that we find ourselves in, there's this extra thing we put on that just shows the beauty of Christ in a unique and powerful way because of the nature of that relationship. As Christ's heavenly rule has broken into your life, what our Lord Jesus wants you to see today is that the roles you find yourselves in at this particular season, in your home and in your work, are places where he is seeking to put his life on display in you as you respond to those around you. And so we've seen Christ's transformation 
of these roles. We've seen Christ's way in each of these roles, how it puts something about him on display. And then finally, as we conclude, we'll look at Christ's lordship. Christ's lordship. This set of family instructions is not unique in the Bible. We find it in other books, and Peter uh, does one of these as well. They're often called household codes. These household codes and instructions are found in other writings of the day as well. And so some, when they come to passages like this, they're tempted to see these as gospel-less, without the gospel. (laughs) And they see it really as Paul just kind of doing copy and paste, although, boy, it was a lot more work back then than Control-C, Control-V. And I can be tempted to read these that way too. Can you? To, to hear them as law and hear them outside of the context of the gospel. But even as we come to our passage in Colossians and just look at it as it stands in and of itself, there's a word that permeates this section that begs us not to do that. Do you notice what word is just over and over again in it? Paul uses the word Lord to refer to Jesus here more times than he does throughout the whole rest of the epistle. And one of the ways that he says this may be easy to miss for us because it's obscured in our English translations, but if you look at chapter 4, verse 1, part of this is because of how we have used the word Lord in English. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Masters, which is literally lords, earthly lords, Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a Lord in heaven. Kids, if you're following along, maybe not in your Bible, but in your bulletin, you can ask your parents, where it says master in heaven, write Lord in heaven. Because that is really what Paul is getting at. And that little phrase, knowing that you also have a Lord in heaven, That's what changes everything. It changes everything for us as a Christian. But I have to confess this because confessing in sermons is, I guess, just what I do. I even hear that statement. You have a Lord in heaven in a scary law-based way. I hear it as saying that you have a God in heaven who's watching you. So be really careful how you act in your marriage and how you parent because he sees your work. So be on guard. But notice that it doesn't say you may have a Lord in heaven depending on how well you do this relationship stuff. He's going to wait and see how you measure up. No. You presently now have a Lord in heaven, the Lord Jesus. And if we stop for a moment and we think about what that means, it's beautiful. How did you come to have the Lord Jesus as your Lord in heaven? Well, the biblical story tells us that you had another Lord before him, didn't you? You were in the old man, Adam. And when you were in Adam, who was your Lord? The ruler of this world, Satan himself. 
But God loved you so much that out of his great love for you, he would not let that stand, but he sent his son. The son of God left heaven so he could rescue you from your earthly Lord. And he became a slave so that he could set you free. He became a child so that through his obedience, he could bring you into his father's perfect love. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross, to pay for your sins. All the times you failed as a, as a spouse, all the times you have failed as a parent, as a worker, as a master, all of the times you have failed as a human, who is created to do nothing other than glorify the God of heaven. Jesus died on the cross so that you could be redeemed and set free, transferred into his kingdom, the kingdom of the beloved son, where you now share in the inheritance of the saints in light, so that he, the Lord Jesus, could love you forever with the most intimate and committed love imaginable that he could love you as his bride. And now that Lord Jesus, your heavenly Lord, isn't just waiting to be a part of your life until he returns. But instead, Paul says, he is your life even now, and he is in you even now by his Spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory, making his life seen in you. Your work in serving him and your obedience, it brings him pleasure now and delight as he sees all that he did being made manifest in you now as his beloved. He loves putting his life on display through you in these most ordinary of relationships. And living his life and living his way may not lead to much earthly reward. Sometimes it leads to exactly the opposite. It may not feel very heavenly to have Christ's life put on display in you. But one day, he will return. And what does this passage even tell us? That when he does, that inheritance of eternal blessedness that he himself earned through his perfect life and substitutionary death, he will give to you to share with you as his brother, as his sister, as his friend, as his bride forever. And we will experience together life in the true heavenly home that we were made for. We will dwell forever in our heavenly Father's house. Why? Because we also have a Lord in heaven who will come back for us. I'm not sure what the relationships in your home are like. I'm not sure what Mother's Day is like for you. If it's a time of celebration or loss, or if it's a mix of both. But I'm pretty sure, in fact I'm certain, that none of our lives are heavenly right now in the sense of everything is as it should be. But I do know 
that if you are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you also have a Lord in heaven who loves you and gave himself for you, and now your loving Lord is committed to bringing his heavenly life more and more into your life, your home, your workplace, our church, and this lost and dying world. May God give us grace to believe this and walk in our Lord Jesus Christ until he returns. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are amazed at your love and your plan. We're thankful that you are our help, and so we ask your help today in all the relationships we find ourselves in, in those relationships that we long to have but do not, that you would meet us, that you would show us the beauty of the Lord Jesus' love for us, and that by your Spirit you would conform us more and more into his image and likeness. Will you encourage us with this, strengthen us in this, and help us to respond in gratitude that you would count us worthy of such an honor of doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.